Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Ah, good morning, Jason. I'm doing great. Hope you are. I'm wonderful, Bill. <laughs> Excited to talk to you today, and you know uh, what? Let's not exaggerate. <laughs> no, 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 Bill. I, I always learn something new from you. You're you're a wonderful person, and you, uh, you make uh, getting up early on the weekend fun. Well, it, this is something that's fun for me. So, as you know, so you know, it's enjoyable. Hopefully, we we give folks. Uh, Something to chew on, something that helps them a little bit in terms of understanding how things work. Yeah, well, last week we uh, we talked a little bit about revocable trusts, but we, mm-hmm. uh, as we often do, we ran out of time. We didn't get to dive into it as much as you would have liked. So let's spend some time talking about that today. Uh, well, I want to. I, I do. Um, in fact, I hope to spend about half the time uh, this morning uh, talking about how revocable trusts work and the benefits and what uh, makes a good trust uh, and the like. Uh, but I thought I would start uh, this morning with some questions uh, that folks uh, pose from time to time. Uh, and I think it's it's um, some there's some issues where families do things all the time because um, it's just the way folks set things up. And it's not necessarily a good way to do things. And so there are better ways. And so let me just start off with that. Okay. And here's, all right. So here's a question that, that uh, is posed uh, that's fairly frequent. And it, here it is. I'm named on my parents' bank accounts and have signing privileges and complete access. I'm also named as executor of their estates. Are there any legal concerns around that combination? So what do you think, Jason? <laughs> oh, boy. Put me on the spot here, Bill. Um, I've, I'll say no. Uh, well, it, it depends. Of course, oh. the answer to all legal, legal questions Man. is it depends. Oh, and I should have said Frankly, most of the time, this actually can create problems. And you might say, well, why? Because all we're trying to do is have our son or our daughter be able to help us get our bills paid, make sure that nothing wrong, uh, you know, occurs and the like. And and so here's the problem. And, and frankly, it's the bankers who are responsible for it. Why? Uh, it's because when you go into the bank more often than not and you say, you know, I need my daughter's assistance, um, so what do we do so that she can sign my checks? And more often than not, they will set that up as a joint account with rights of survivorship. So is there a problem with that? Yes. And, and And so if, let's say it's husband and wife and daughter, with rights of survivorship. Well, if the daughter is the only child, in other words, there are no other children, no other folks who would benefit by the parent's estate, then certainly it's less problematic uh, because more than likely the parents intend for the daughter to receive everything anyway. But let's say there's two or three children and only one is local, and that's the one that you've put on your bank account. Well, guess what? Now you've created an issue where at your death, where does the bank account go? Jason, what's the answer? 
goes to your spouse. Well, it actually goes to those survivors. Okay. So who's the survivor? Uh, the daughter. And the, the daughter spouse. and the spouse. Okay. So now you have the second death. Who's the survivor now, most likely? The daughter. Excellent. Now, is it right and fair for the daughter to receive 100% of the bank account when the will actually says, I leave everything equally to our children? Is that a fair thing? I would say no. Absolutely not. And so in more often than not, the parents don't intend for the daughter to receive 100% of the bank account. They do want some money available for last expenses to make sure the funeral goes okay and that the daughter has, I mean, somebody has access to money before you go to the courthouse and things like that. But um, And so you can set up a, a very small account that way for that purpose, but that's not what people do, okay? So let's say, I mean, for instance, uh, and then most people will say, well, my daughter will do the right thing. <laughs> and maybe and maybe not. But, but the real question is, what was your intention in setting up the bank account this way? Did you set up the account for convenience for you and your wife or your, you and your husband so that uh, your bills would be timely paid and somebody was looking at your bank account every month to make sure there was no suspicious activity and things like that, all of which is good. But the fact is, is that sometimes there's a dilemma when, you know, particularly if the daughter uh, or the son, whoever it is who's taking care of the account, uh, basically thinks they've, they've had to do all the work. And they have some, let's say they have some financial problems of their own, and they've been wonderful to the parents, uh, but now the parents are gone. Well, the fact is, frequently that child will say, well, mom and dad intended for me to have this for all the work I've done to take care of things for them, when in fact it really wasn't their intention. So, uh, and so then the question is, well, how do the other children actually come forward and prove that it was intended to be divided three ways. And, and so there's, a, a, in essence, a legal challenge that the parents have set up because of the way they've done it. And for, frankly, okay, what's the, uh, what's the option? What's the better way to handle it? Well, the fact is that if what you can do, which is far better, is to sign a good general durable power of attorney and then let your daughter be on the account as a fiduciary, as a signer, using your authority as your agent. Well, guess what? That doesn't mean that the account belongs to the daughter. Uh, it means that she can has authority and access over the account. Um, she can sign the check. She's a signer, but she's signing as a fiduciary and has a responsibility to you to make sure things are done properly. But she also has a responsibility to carry out your full intentions uh, as executor of your will that everything is divided equally among the children and the like. So folks have to know 
that the, the, the way you set up an investment account or the way you set up a checking account or a savings account at the bank takes precedence over what your will says. So if you, I mean, in most cases, the will represents the true intentions of, uh, of the parties. That is, we want everything to go to our spouse. We want things equally divided among our children at our death. Uh, that typically is what people want. Now, obviously, there are a lot of folks out there with variations on that, but I think it's really uh, important that that you set things up consistent with your intentions, because when you set things up, and the problem is, quite frankly, um, there are more trusted advisors for most families than their lawyer. I mean, at least for me, I hope that I am one of the most trusted advisors for my clients. But when you go to the bank, you expect them to give you good advice in terms of how do I set this up or how do I do this or how do I do that? And frankly, more often than not, the bankers set the accounts up that's most convenient for the bank, whether it messes up your intentions or not, you know. I don't think I've ever had a banker call me as a client's attorney and and say, I just want to make sure that we're setting this account up consistently with their estate plan. They've told me that you're their lawyer, but so I want to make sure we're doing everything consistent. No, I've never, I mean, I've been doing this for 45 years. I have never had a banker call me and and say, are we setting this thing up right? (laughs) It doesn't happen. Now, investment advisors, yes, they do call me on occasion, but it, even that is is more rare than it should be. But bankers, no. And, and you know, that's where the biggest problem uh, lies. The, the, the way you set your accounts up, your beneficiary designations for your life insurance and your retirement accounts, and the way you set if you set up an account with anybody with rights of survivorship, all of that takes precedence over what you put in your will. And so knowing how things work, you know, in the end is really important to everyone. Because truthfully, if you set your children up to fight with each other, that's not what we want as parents. We want things to go smoothly. We want everybody to be on the same page and for things to be distributed the way we want them distributed and and so that there's not fighting so that the kids still embrace each other love each other uh throughout and i hate to say it but i've seen lots of times where because of the way things were set up or not set up there was a falling out uh for years or forever where brothers and sisters don't ever talk to each other again. And that's a real shame. Yeah. And I think that's a situation that we want to avoid. And, uh, you can have a, the guidance of an elder law attorney to guide you through that, to avoid situations like that. And if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with bill, you can do that by going to WGA law, That's Bill's website. From there, you can book an appointment. You can also register for one of Bill's free seminars that happen the second Wednesday of every month by clicking on the Seminars button at WGA Law. 
Com. The next set of seminars is happening on Wednesday, May 12th, and these deal with the subjects of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning, which we're going to get into later on in the program. But WGALaw.com is that website. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, avoid some of the scenarios, the disaster scenarios that we've been talking about in this segment and get the advice of an elder law attorney. Not, or you can call 919 256 7,000. 919-256-7,000. We're taking a quick break, but we've got plenty more to get to. Stick around. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. are listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're going to get to talking about trust in a bit. But uh, I love these scenarios that you propose because we can all relate to them. And there are situations that uh, I think a lot of us would like to avoid the disaster outcomes. Uh, no question. And I, I want to get to another mistake that I, I see families frequently make. And it, and it comes with good intentions. And here's, here's the deal. And I will be this way, and you will be this way, and everybody I know is pretty much this way. You know what it is? What's that? We like to control our lives, and we like to con- we like to be independent. Uh, we want to stay that way. Uh, we we want the most independence we can possibly have. Uh, and we want to be able to control our resources, our legacy, and we want to be able to um, transfer our, our, at our death to our loved ones. Uh, and the more controlled, the better in most cases. However, this if you take it too far, you make a mistake. And, and what do I mean by that? It's important, and in fact, one of the reasons I like trust-based planning is because it allows us to be able to manage our state in terms of it going to the next generation and even beyond. And that's one of the really nice things about trust. It's not about... Um, in other words, it, it's not. It, it allows you to do more than at my death. Here it is. You deal with it, and good luck. <laughs> okay, no asset protection there. And of course, I'm all about asset protection, not only for ourselves but for our children and grandchildren. So, what's the mistake I'm talking about? It's not managing. It the managing of an estate going to the next generation. Uh, and doing it in an appropriate way is wonderful. I love that. But there's a mistake when we try to micromanage who gets what uh, for years. Now, (laughs) what do I mean by that? What's micromanaging? And and it's like being real nitpicky about I want this property to go here, that property to go there, I want this account to go here, and I want that to go everywhere. Uh, basically, that tends to be a mistake uh, in a big way. 
I'll, I'll tell you a story. I probably said this, uh, recited this story before, but it's a true. It's not a story. It's actually true. It happened. Um, fella had uh, husband and wife had three children, two daughters, one son, um, and uh, the husband died. You know, twenty years earlier, and his will left everything to his wife. Not uncommon. That's perfectly fine. But what was his contingency? His contingency was, if my wife dies with me or predeceases me, then I want my house in Cary to go to one daughter. I want my 80 acres of land in eastern North Carolina. Basically, it was a hunting lodge uh, type of place. Had a little shack on it, uh, but it was hunting property to my son. And then I want my beach house to go to my other daughter. Now, when that will was created, all three properties were worth about the same. All right, but one thing about planning is what is constant in uh, our lives? What's, what's the constant, Jason? Change. Absolutely. Things change. Well, uh, basically, one of the grandchildren asked me to go talk to Grandmama about her will because she hadn't changed her will in 20 years. It still looked exactly like Dad's will, which was, I want the house in Cary to go to one daughter. I want the hunting property to go to the son and the house at the beach to go to the other daughter. Well, guess what happened over 20 years? The, the, truthfully, the, the uh, 80 acres of land in eastern North Carolina was worth about the same <laughs> after 20 years. Maybe it increased a little bit, but not much. House and carry had appreciated a good bit. So now it was worth maybe $250,000. But the beach house, it was oceanfront, and it was worth over a million dollars. Okay. So do you think – now, I, I went to Grandmama and I said, you know, you might want to change this so it's an equal distribution among your children. And she said, no, this is what Dad wanted, and I'm not changing a thing. And I tried to talk her out of it, but no, she, was, she knew that's what she wanted. Now, the result was the daughters don't speak to each other anymore because – yeah, they all got, you know, the son didn't care. He was fine getting his hunting property because he loved to go out there with his buddies. But the fa- And he was also well-to-do. But the two daughters, you know, one got the beach house and the other one got the carry house. And, there, you know, basically there was a huge falling out over that. And that, the falling out part, when there's a big unequal distribution, when there's no reason for it. I mean, all three children were loved. I mean, it's not like there was an estrangement or they liked the one daughter more than the other daughter or any of that stuff. Or, I mean, and actually the person who got the least financial benefit was the son, but he didn't care. Now, that's unusual. (laughs) So the whole point is, though, that the, the fact that change was not acknowledged and basically, was that a good result? Well, I don't think any parent intends for their children to not like each other after the fact based upon what they have done themselves. Because truthfully, if there had been an equal division among, they could have sorted it out and, and the families would have, have been close forever. 
but unfortunately, because of a bad estate plan, um, it it resulted in a horrible result. And uh, but that's why I say micromanaging who gets what is typically a bad idea because things do change, values change over time. And most people do their will years ahead of their death, and nobody can predict necessarily when they're going to die. Even when you're sick, you you don't know when the end is going to come. But change, like you said, is constant. And, and uh, frankly, it's better to, in essence, uh, have a structured plan, but let it be filled in by the the beneficiaries. In other words, so that it can be divided fairly uh, and managed properly after you're gone. And there are lots of ways to set that up. And a, and a trust is an excellent way for you to put in the the scenarios where things will be managed the way you would like to see them managed. But the, the real problem is when you start giving certain properties to one and other properties to the other. I mean, there are rare exceptions where, where that's appropriate, but uh, otherwise it typically uh, leads to misfortune. And that's, um, that, that's why I want folks to understand that, that it's better to create a plan and then let it be managed um, based on the circumstances that exist after you're gone. And again, that's why it's so important to have the guidance of an experienced elder law attorney. Bill has been doing this for, as he said, 45 years and, you know, making sure that you're not doing something that may have unintended consequences or, as we often say on this show, you you don't know what you don't know and you may have the best intentions, but the outcomes could differ from that. And having an experienced eye to guide you in the right direction is so important. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, you can do that by going to WGA Law. That's Bill's website. It's very easy to schedule a time to speak with him. You can also find information about Bill's free seminars that happen the second Wednesday of every month. The next one happening on Wednesday, May 12th. These cover the subjects of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. WGALaw.com is the website where you can find all that information or you can call the office 919-256-256. 7,000-919-256-7,000. We're taking a quick break, but we will be back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking about planning mistakes that people can make, Bill, and this has been a fascinating conversation because these are things that uh, I think a lot of people would probably think, hey, these are good ideas, but uh, in discussing them with you, maybe not so much. Well, that's exactly right. And there's another one that can be a huge mistake, and that is, uh, you know, we tend to be attached to what we have. You know, I mean, and for those folks who are fortunate to have large tracts of land, it is even more so. You know, now, if you're farming the land, if you're making a lot of income from your land in whatever manner, then 
more power to you. I think it's wonderful. However, uh, what happens is oftentimes we're we are so attached to our land, we, we can't see why our children or our grandchildren would not have that same attachment. So what do we want to do? Oftentimes we want to prohibit our children or grandchildren from selling that property. In other words, we want to keep it in the family. And, and you know, uh, it, it, it's uh, not uncommon for for folks to to say, well, you know, they don't make any more land, <laughs> which is a true statement. And, and if you know what to do with land, you can use it to make money in a, in a big way. In fact, I, I saw just last weekend, I saw a little blurb about how, uh, you know, the longleaf pine forests are, you can make as much money harvesting the pine straw as, uh, you know, uh, as growing crops on land or or even better than that. So it's sort of like, why not take it the easy way and uh, and do that? And then, um, but what I'm getting at is it's nice to own land, but you know what? Uh, land has costs to it. You know, there are taxes to be paid. And not all land is income producing. And so land and the land ownership can be burdensome on folks who have no interest in the land. And I had, I, I had a wonderful uh, person in my office this past week who had several hundred acres of land. Uh, but guess what? Uh, and she was a widow, and she was making use of her land. Uh, And bottom line is she was thinking, you know, I I want my folks to keep this land because long term it'll help them. You know, but the fact is, is that her child doesn't live where she lives. She lives at least an hour and a half away. And her uh, the daughter's children, uh, you know, live an hour and a half away and none of them have any interest whatsoever in moving back to the county where mama lives. They have no interest in this land. Uh, They're not farmers. (laughs) And and nor uh, are they business people in terms of where they could actually utilize the land. And, you know, the fact is that it's hard to successfully own anything where you're not around. In other words, if you own rental houses, it's uh, far easier to own rental houses in the county where you live, where you, uh, even if you have a management company and you're not managing it yourself, if you have the ability to go around and inspect things and make sure things are tidy and, and being cared for, you can make money that way. But if your property is way off, you don't have the ability to go and check on it very often. And it's a burden to you to be to do it. The point I'm trying to make here is that folks should never put in a total barrier for their children or grandchildren to be able to manage property by selling it. Uh, the worst thing that can happen in families, in my opinion, is when you have real estate that nobody has a real interest in maintaining and keeping and they're prohibited from selling it. 
you know, and, and, and sometimes it's like, well, I want to hold it for my grandchildren so that the next generation can take care of it. Well, the fact is, is that that really takes away the changes that occurs and the opportunities that occur. Just think of real estate right now in Wake County and how valuable it is. I mean, right now, if you want to sell something, you can sell it for more than fair market value because it is a seller's market. Um, well, so if somebody had this kind of property, would they want to sell it right now? You know they would. Would it be in their best interest to be able to do that? Yes, it absolutely would. But if they're prohibited from selling it, then guess what? They they will lose that opportunity, and when the when the time comes where it could be sold, it may not be worth anything close to what it could be sold for now. So it, it's just, I can see where it can be looked at in different ways, but typically, and in most cases, and of course the answer is it depends, but more often than not, one should not prohibit a later generation from actually having control and the ability to manage property by selling it if it's appropriate to do that. That's a big mistake. Well, Bill, those are some key things to look out for. And again, I think there are things that a lot of us may uh, identify with or may have thought, hey, this may sound like a good idea. Well, we might be wrong. And that's why we need the advice of a great elder law attorney. And if you want to get a hold of Bill, schedule an appointment to speak with him, you can go to WGA Law. That's Bill's website. From there, you can book an appointment to speak with him. You can also register for Bill's free seminars happening on Wednesday, May 12th. He does it the second Wednesday of every month, but that's the next set of seminars coming up covering the topics of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. These are free to attend, and they are done via webinar. Uh, All you need is a computer or smartphone with internet access as well as an email address and you're good to go wgalaw.com or if you want to call the office it's 919-256-7000 919-256-7000 we're taking a quick break back with more talking about trust this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we will be right back Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's where you can also register for Bill's free seminars happening on Wednesday, May 12th. These are free seminars covering the subjects of long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. And Bill, speaking of trust planning, we're, we're going to spend some time here talking about revocable trusts. Yeah, and so revocable trusts are the simplest of trusts, if you will. Um, And I have a lot of folks who say, should I have a trust? Uh, Is a trust better than a will? Um, And so the, the fact is that for many families, not all, because there are some families where a trust is clearly the way to go. There are other families that are they clearly don't need a trust. And then there's a bunch of folks in between where it's, a gray area and get the answer is it depends okay so uh first of all um a revocable trust is well first of all a trust all it is is an agreement okay now a revocable trust 
is an agreement that you make with yourself, but you do it in writing, and it's a formal agreement, has lots of law behind it, but it's basically an agreement that you make for yourself. Now, if you're single, you make it for yourself. If you're married, then typically you and your spouse together make an agreement for yourselves, okay? Uh, so you're the creator of the trust. You, you have your lawyer write it up. You appoint yourself as the trustee, the, the folks who manage the trust, and then typically you would appoint your children to come behind you as a successor trustee, uh, and you are the primary beneficiary of your trust, and then typically your children are the next, the secondary beneficiaries, and the grandchildren are the next beneficiaries, uh, depending on the circumstances, but that's a fairly common thing. And a trust does, uh, so basically you're wearing three hats. You're, you're the person who creates the trust, that's one hat, and it empowers you to do lots of things. Uh, uh, in other words, as the creator of the trust, you can change it at any time. You can amend it, you can revoke it, uh, no problem. Uh, you can transfer property into the trust, and then you are appointing yourself as the trustee slash manager of this trust, and you can transfer property out of the trust at any time. The IRS ignores these trusts, and so guess what? This trust does not have a separate tax ID number. It uses your Social Security number. And so bottom line is you pay your income taxes the same way you've always done it. makes no change in that. And with a revocable trust, there's no handcuffs whatsoever on how you manage the property, how you invest your property, and how you spend your money. It, there's no restrictions. No, I mean, it's loosey-goosey, if you will. So the fact is, now, so what's the first advantage of having a trust over a will? Well, if you, and the biggest mistake I see with trusts is that the lawyers don't help you transfer your property into your trust. And I can't tell you how many people come to me and I say, well, what's in the trust? And they look at me like, you mean there's supposed to be something in the trust? I mean, truthfully, a trust does not work properly unless you funded almost everything you own into your trust. So, but once you've funded, once you've transferred your home and your other real estate and your bank accounts and your uh, investment accounts, not your retirement account, but your investment accounts, uh, you have transferred them to yourself as trustee of your trust under your agreement, then at that point, all of that property, which hopefully is your entire state, less your life insurance, annuities, and retirement accounts, because those are all beneficiary designations. So frankly, at this point, if that's the case, then at your death, your family can basically clear things up very quickly. You don't have to go through the court. It's far less expensive, much faster, because you don't have the barriers that a court process brings you. Most folks call that probate and or court administration. And of course, you avoid all of those court costs as well. But 
and frankly, North Carolina court costs are not outrageously high like they are in some states. In some states, anybody with means has a trust. And places like New York, New Jersey, Florida, California, those are all states where it's very expensive to probate. You have to go through the court process when you die, and so people avoid that by creating a trust. So that is one advantage. But to me, the fact is is that with a trust, you can do things, better planning for yourself and your spouse and your children. Uh, and the more complicated your situation is, the more likely a trust is your best planning tool. No question about it. In fact, I have my orphan clients, single people who are not married, have no children. Why do they use a trust? Well, they don't need one for what happens when they die. They need one for what happens while they're alive because I have a lot of singles who they want to know that if they get to a point where they can't manage their property for themselves, they want to know that they have a plan in place in their trust where they're taken care of the way they want to be taken care of. They've, they get to a point who gets to manage their property. They, they give the direction on, I want to stay at home. I want 24-7 care. I want an independent life care manager. I want all the things that I've enjoyed. I want to continue to receive in terms of what, you know, my diet and, uh, you know, what alcohol I might have or, or any other bad habits that we have or things that we enjoy, you give your, your successor trustee those fiduciary obligations to carry out your plan until your money's gone. And, you know, uh, the, the fact is, is that if all you do is give somebody a power of attorney, all you've done is given them the power with no instructions. Yes, they have a fiduciary obligation to do what you want done, but if they don't know what you want done, they're going to spend it the way they think they should, not necessarily what you would want. And so with a trust, you can set out what you want. That's huge. But more importantly, you can do things for your your spouse and your children. You can give them asset protection that they have not had before. You can leave your property to them uh, in a way that they can control it but and enjoy it completely and protect themselves with it, but that others can't uh, get into it. They, you know, creditors, predators, uh, divorce uh, situations where your trust is not an asset that they can get to bankruptcies or other ones. You know, it, the fact is, it, this is what's called a third-party trust. And when you create a third-party trust, it can be done in such a way that you can avoid all of these bad uh, things to happen. And so, yes, families of means who want to package the inheritance for their children and grandchildren, it gives them a huge opportunity to give their children something that the children cannot create for themselves very easily and at, and at very little cost. And that's, that's, to me, the real advantage of trust-based planning. So, uh, but it does require that uh, when you create this agreement to then transfer property into yourself. Now, do we have time to talk some more about who might this work for? 
Um, well, uh, it's um, okay. So, who maybe does not need a trust? Well, th that's not hard. And, and now, for the older folks out there, they'll know what I'm talking about. But Ozzie and Harriet families, <laughs> we grew up on Ozzie and Harriet. Uh, first marriage, all the children belong to both spouses. All the children are healthy and wonderful. Uh, life is great. Uh, modest estate, uh, simple estate with sweetheart intentions. I want everything to go to my spouse, and then I want everything to go to our children equally. Uh, and there's no issues with the kids. You know, there's no spendthrifts. There's no bad marriages. There's no, um, uh, you know, they, the kids can manage property well. There's no addiction. There's, there's no <laughs> perfect family. Now, do you think we have a lot of those? Uh, it's getting more complex uh, every, every year, that's for sure. But th there are families like that, and they're wonderful and if there's a modest estate, a simple will is, is fine. Uh, now, uh, also, uh, no hard-to-value property. You know, folks with limited liability companies and corporations that they want to pass to their children, that gets more complicated when it goes through an estate. And it gets expensive going through an estate as well. And then, you know, the, another part of, of this is folks that that don't have dysfunction in the family. The kids love each other. They enjoy being together. They communicate with each other. Um, so there's really no need for court oversight, you know, through probate and court administration. Uh, and one last thing, no real estate in other states. You know, there are a lot of folks who own prop beach property at Myrtle Beach here. Well, guess what? That's South Carolina, not North Carolina. And if you have real estate in more than one state, guess what? You have two probates. You have one in North Carolina, one in South Carolina. Well, that doubles your expenses, so guess what? A trust will save you a bunch of money, allowing you to avoid probate in the other state. And if with you have everything in your trust, you avoid probate in North Carolina as well. So that's a pretty big savings when, when you do that. Now, there are families that are actually dysfunctional and sometimes quite frankly it is better to have court oversight uh, because then the court's going to audit to make sure that your estate is distributed exactly the way you've directed it to be distributed and that's that's helpful okay so last thing if we have time and i don't know if we real do. quick okay ooh, real quick all right those folks who should have a trust, well, uh, clearly those who want a faster, cheaper estate administration, families of means, a desire for disability planning we talked about, ownership of corporations and limited liability uh, companies, ownership in real estate in other states, families with complications, second marriages, third marriages, things like that or any kind of concern for the children's inheritance where you spend thrifts, bad marriages, um, need for asset protection, 
professional children that have malpractice concerns, things like that. Excellent. And uh, I'm sorry we ran out of time here, but if you want to find more great information about trust, be sure to sign up for Bill's free seminar happening on Wednesday, May 12th. Sign up for the Asset Protection and Trust Planning Seminar. It's free to attend. You can do it digitally via webinar. And again, it's it's free to sign up and you're going to get plenty of information like we've discussed. All you have to do is go to wgalaw.com and click on that seminars button there you can register for that afternoon session or if you want to learn about long-term care assistance sign up for the morning session as well we're taking a quick break but we'll be back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we will be right back You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget, WGALaw.com is where you want to go to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, or you can register for Bill's free seminars at WGALaw.com. Just click on that Seminars button, and there you can register for Bill's seminars happening on Wednesday, May 12th. We are out of time for today, but we hope you will join us again next weekend for Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Have a great weekend.